It's Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Hanley. And you're listening to the New Hampshire News Recap. This is when each Friday we spend a little extra time getting into the week's top headlines. This week, the state's been ramping up its vaccination campaign as COVID cases continue to rise. New Hampshire continues to see labor shortages in many different industries. And what's the minimum salary needed to survive in the Granite State? Joining me to talk about all of this now is NHPR's health and equity reporter, Ali Pham, and New Hampshire Bulletin's senior reporter, Anne-Marie Timmons. Good morning to you both. Morning. Good morning. Well, Governor Sununu said last week that vaccination is New Hampshire's most powerful tool when it comes to fighting the virus. Now the state is, is pushing for more Granite Staters to get vaccinated. Allie, let's start with you. What, what do vaccination rates look like currently in New Hampshire? Yeah, I mean, rates in New Hampshire are, are OK. I mean, they're not where health officials want to see them. CDC data show around 66 percent of our total population is fully vaccinated. And I mean, compared to other states, New Hampshire does have a relatively high rate of vaccination, kind of in the top 15 there. But, you know, at the same time, we are trailing all other New England states. And who are the people that New Hampshire is trying to target here who have not been vaccinated yet? What's the demographic breakdown? Yeah, so over the summer, I mean, we've seen a lot of focus on younger populations um, from Governor Sununu and state health officials, and the gaps in vaccination rates there are really, really striking. I mean, state data show that those in their 70s are vaccinated at around twice the rate of those in their 20s, and less than 40% of 12 to 19-year-olds are vaccinated, according to state data. And, you know, we're also seeing continued disparities when it comes to race and ethnicity, and those numbers actually got a bit worse um, when the state released updated data and was able to kind of pull non-New Hampshire residents um, from their counts. And that's, you know, especially concerning because these are populations that have been disproportionately impacted by the virus. Right. Emory, you've reported on the challenges with messaging around COVID and vaccines for the state. The circumstances are constantly changing, which means the messaging needs constant testing and tweaking. Can you talk more about that? Yes, um, I, I talked to some um, sort of messaging marketing experts and they said at the beginning, it was really personal stories that had some scare to it. You know, there's a woman who was healthy, got COVID and died. And as people, more people got vaccinated, the next message was, we need to get back to normal so we can do that if everyone gets vaccinated. And the Delta variant is expected to change that messaging again. So it's unclear to me what the state is doing to test its messaging or identify um, its messaging, not where you're putting ads, because uh, they are doing promotions on social media, places where you would find young people. Um, but what are those messages going to be? For example, we learned this week that safety and availability will be part of the messaging. Some tests have suggested that talking about safety versus efficacy is can backfire because safety raises concerns for people who maybe weren't thinking that way to say, oh, wait, is this not safe? Should I, should I think twice about this? So it is, it's very, very hard, um, but it, it, it does take constant revisiting. Sure. Messaging is, is an art and a science, I guess. Uh, the executive council approved a contract with a Manchester-based marketing firm to continue this, this COVID vaccination campaign. Anne-Marie, who, who is this marketing agency and what have they done already? What are they planning to do next? It's GYK Antler out of Manchester. Um, we know that they signed up and were contracted to do a lot of radio and TV ads, social media campaigns on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, 
It's, it's unclear to me, honestly, what has run. I've asked the Department of uh, Health and Human Services to help me find that content, talk to me about it. Um, we haven't heard back from them. Also didn't hear back from the marketing company. Um, a search, you know, of, of trying to find this. It turned up a few um, ads on Facebook. I did not find anything else. It, it's not saying it's not out there, but it's been hard to answer that question. And the state launched a, a new mobile vaccination, vaccination tour this week. Uh, health workers are traveling to state parks to try and reach people who have not been vaccinated yet. Allie, you were at um, one of these sites. What, what was that like? And, you know, wh- was there a lot of demand? Yeah, so I went to Bearbrook State Park this week. I've got the, the bug bites to prove it still. Um, the van was there for three hours in the morning. Six or seven people came through. And I mean, compared to, you know, early super sites or even larger state-run clinics, this felt so different. But I mean, I think for folks who who decided to get their shot there that day, that was also part of the reason they chose this particular clinic. I mean, one woman, Donna Powers, came with her daughter. She spent over 30 minutes just kind of asking questions about the vaccine before deciding to get it. You know, she had said months ago she looked into getting it at a larger site. But with all her hesitations and concerns, that just didn't sit right with her. Here she is. Like it, like I felt like I was going to get brushed. Okay, get the shot. Okay, you're done. So, you know, she said when she heard about this small clinic right up the street from her, she felt like it was really convenient and she could get all her all those concerns addressed. And it's not just the state's van, Allie, that, that's doing these these more mobile efforts. Um, there are the clinics, aren't there? Right, exactly. City health departments and regional public health networks have had more mobile events like this for for months. And, you know, one that I went to earlier this week that I think was pretty creative and successful was held by the Manchester Health Department. And rather than branding this as a vaccine clinic, it was marketed as a wellness on wheels event at the local elementary school. At the same time, parents were signing their kids up for school this year. And it just felt like a block party. I mean, there were tents advertising social services, folks helping people sign up for a snack SNAP benefits, there was a food truck, kids were playing basketball. And, you know, I think this was a real testament to to the department's community health workers who'd been doing outreach for this event for months um, and, you know, putting up flyers in multiple languages, talking with families. Hundreds of people came and the whole time I was there, I mean, people were were getting vaccinated. So they're trying to do these clinics, they're trying to do these mobile uh, vans, but they're getting a little bit here and there, a few here and there. I mean, they're not doing a lot, though, every day. They're certainly not getting big numbers here. Yeah, that's that's totally true. And I think, you know, speaking to folks, coordinating them and working at them, low numbers are something they've just kind of accepted. And it's also really not actually how they're defining a successful clinic these days. Here's Greg Marcellin, one of the nurse practitioners from Convenient MD, who staffs the state's mobile vaccine van. Um, it's just the reality of it right now. We're dealing with a lot of um, outlets out there that can be pretty misleading and um it can be challenging to get through through to people about yeah. it. But, yeah, I do think one person makes a huge difference. Okay, so there's uh, one opinion there. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley. We are recapping this week's news with NHPR's Allie Pham and New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons. By the way, you can let us know your thoughts and questions about the state's COVID response by sending us an email to voices at nhpr.org. You can also leave us a voice message at any time at 603 513 7790. I want to turn to some other news uh, that's happened over the week. Uh, Anne Marie, the unemployment rate numbers for July show New Hampshire is holding steady at 2.9%, but employers are still struggling to find enough workers to fill positions. That is obvious for all of us. We can see that 
this is a longstanding issue in the state, but how has the pandemic made it worse? That That's right. Um, they still struggle. I talked to um, the interim, now interim director of BIA, Dave Juve, and he said, it, I honestly think it may be getting worse. And gone are the stimulus checks, the extra unemployment. So what is keeping people from taking jobs? And I heard from some people who said, I have hard labor jobs. People don't want to do that. Some said, you know, maybe it's wages. I talked to um, the Letty Group, which does hiring for a number of agencies, and they recommend bonus pay, but to be careful about it, because if you offer new hires bonus pay, what does that leave your existing workers? So to be really thoughtful about bonuses, other perks, culture, they recommended that culture has to be positive and stressed. So I think those are things companies are going to have to start looking at, which may be very different than how we've seen um, employers reach out in the past. And I think the Delta variant definitely has people concerned. Do they feel ready to go back to work, even if they're vaccinated, because we know they can still carry the virus? Do you feel that it's sustainable for a lot of these industries when you talk to different uh, CEOs and people hiring? I mean, do they feel that they can keep hiring these incentives, that they'll be able to keep going the way they are? Um, what are you hearing about their, their their future plans? Some are, you know, having to limit their hours. Some are closing down some days. Um, some are working on very uh, skeleton crews and have said that means your your meal is going to take longer to get to you. We hope people will be patient. I think the longer it goes on, the harder it gets. I suspect um, we'll still see businesses struggling for a while. You know, maybe some choose to close up shop because they can't maintain it. Because if you do raise wages, you do offer bonuses, can you sustain that funding going on? Can you, you know, when we get back to normal, if we bump up raises, you know, uh, salaries, $5 an hour sake, is that going to work going forward? So it feels like we need this fix right now, but they don't know if they'll be able to maintain it. Right. And so that will create yet another challenge down the road. Right. And are we seeing this across the board in, in, in all industries? Is it specific industries that we're talking about here? It is all industries from what I was hearing, um, but it's healthcare, it's manufacturing um, in particular. There's also a challenge, you know, with supply chain. So that is another, you know, real challenge for manufacturing. So they're kind of feeling it on both ends. But those two industries in particular, tourism has come back um, quite a bit from what I've heard. There's been an ability to hire there thanks to summer help with students, but they're going back to college. So I'm not sure what that will look like, but definitely across all the state, all the sectors. MIT released a tool this week that calculates the minimum amount of money that a single person would need to make in a year just to meet basic needs in every state. Allie, I, I know you looked at this. What did it say about New Hampshire? Right. So the tool is called the Living Wage Calculator, and it, it found that a person living in the state would need to make just over $30,000 a year to survive. And that includes estimated housing expenses for over $10,000 per year and estimated food expenses of almost $3,700 per year. And how, how can this knowledge be helpful for people? How does knowing these numbers make a difference? Yeah. So according to MIT, the goal is to help individuals, communities, and employers determine a local wage rate that can allow residents to meet the minimum standard of living. So now this number 
30,000 per year, it, it really only takes into account basic needs like food, housing, or transportation. So researchers working on this tool made it clear that this wage is kind of the fine line between having financial independence and needing public assistance to get by. So, you know, it, it, that means that $30,000 a year isn't enough for people to, you know, make investments or, or build up a savings account. And of course, that's an average for the state. It's going to look very different depending where you might be. Right. Yeah. Um, the DMV is no longer requiring a health care provider's signature for anyone making a gender change. Uh, Anne-Marie, I, I want to ask you about this story. Can you tell us about this, this previous requirement? It, it wasn't a law necessarily. It was a DMV policy, I think. Correct. Um, back in 2014, 2015, um, people were able to go in and change their gender, male to female, female to male. And at that time, this DMV, I mean, that law did not require um you know, confirmation that this was needed, so to speak, from a healthcare provider. And the department said, yes, it wasn't in the law, but we felt in asking for that was, um, you know, kept with a legislative intent. And fast forward to 2021, uh, a, a student, a, um, a New Hampshire college student went in to declare a new option, which is X as your gender, was asked for to have this form signed by a healthcare provider and was really taken aback by it, connected with um, GLAD, which is a legal advocacy group for gay and lesbians, um, it's LGBTQ, and also an, a Concord attorney and, and challenged that. And the department heard from the attorney general's office who said, correct, this is not part of the law, and they did drop it. So now there is no health care provider's permission to to make this gender change and that even that that existed was really surprising to folks who had no idea had so never anyway, you don't need the form you can just go in and do that then you yeah. can do that now uh, on interesting story that uh listeners may not have copy for so thank you for that uh we just have a, a quick 30 seconds here i want to ask you emory what's next to, for your reporting what are you looking at in the next week I'm talking to the towns who have really high vaccination rates within New Hampshire to see how they did it. And I talked to Vermont, too, who is leading the way, and they're doing a lot of the same thing. So it's been really interesting to to report on that. That'll um, be on the bulletin next week. Okay. How about you, Allie? What are you looking at for the next week? Um, I'm going to be on vacation for <laughs> most of the week, good to be you. honest. Uh, good for you. <laughs> But uh, definitely continuing to look at, we've seen some real confusion around when folks are going to have to pay for a COVID test and when it's going to be free. So I'm kind of continuing to to look into that. Gotcha. Ali Pham, NHPR's health and equity reporter. Thank you so much. And Anne-Marie Timmons, senior reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Read up on both. You will be better informed for it. Thank you both so much. Um, great to be with you. Thank you. By the way, you can find more of their work, as always, and the stories we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and newhampshirebulletin.com. And be tuning in to Morning Edition next week. Next Friday, we'll hear another round of New Hampshire News with our New Hampshire News Recap, where we cover the top news of the week. I'm Rick Galley, and this is Morning Edition from NHPR.